Between Two Runners, a podcast. Let's get into the show. All right, go ahead and ask your questions. Me? Yeah. Oh, wow. <gasps> you get to be the questioner? That's what he says. I'm Barbara Walters. Yes. <gasps> Barbara. I'm excellent. I'll do the intro. Welcome to Between Two Runners, my guest today, all the way from Jacksonville, Scott and Jen. Yay! All right. Carmen, take it away. We're here to talk about Bryce Canyon 100. Yeah. She's so professional. Yes. I know. <laughs> Jump right into it. Yes. Scott ran it and Jen crewed it. So where should we start? Let's talk about the plane ride there, first of all. <laughs> So the race uh, was the 29th and 30th of June, May. May. And so it was the midst of the COVID pandemic. Um, just briefly background, the race directors had made special arrangements, uh, had re- talked to the government officials, health officials, and so forth to get the okay, which was kind of a big deal because most races throughout the country were at a full stop. So then uh, they had made the appropriate arrangements, decided to give it a go, and so we decided to give it a go as well. With that came a plane trip in the midst of a pandemic, which, Jen, tell me about the airport. <laughs> tell us about the airport. The airport was empty. It was shocking. Um, the rocking chairs at Jacksonville were socially distanced a proper 10 feet apart. It was mm-hmm. quite entertaining. Um, they did make you wear masks on the plane, so that was uh, the only safety precautions that I noticed. Other than the airport being very, very empty, even DFW, which we had to fly through to get to Salt Lake City, was um, quite quite empty. I mean, definitely less than half the normal people that would be there. So, um, But other than that, it was business as normal. The flights were all on time. Rental car was easy. Um, just less people than normal. And then you flew in to Salt Lake City on Thursday. Yep. The race was Friday. Yep. Race was Saturday. Okay. So we flew into Salt Lake City midday Thursday, got a rental car, and drove to Southern Utah. (laughs) We got to where we were staying, and the next day, Friday, we acclimated to greater than a mile high. Uh, Walked a couple miles around Zion National Park, which was open. And prepared for the race, which was Saturday to Sunday. Packet pickup was drive-through service, huh? (laughs) Yes, one of the many arrangements that they made to be socially distanced was a drive-through packet pickup. Windows up, just like a COVID testing site until you get up. (laughs) They roll down though. You roll down your window and they hand you the packet and tell you to get on the road. Back the next morning. Oh yes, that's right. Drop bags again. It was an official well-organized setup race so we did socially distance unload our drop bags for multiple sites throughout the 100 mile or so it was drop bag so we did have to get out of our car for that but it was um, super super organized though i mean they had packet pickup was like five hours long so i mean we drove in later in the afternoon and it was easy we drove right in there was no line they checked his id gave us our um his number, my pacer and crew numbers, and jumped out of the car, threw our stuff on the tarps, and went back to the hotel. Went and ate some carbs. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of carbs. Lots of carbs. What kind so. of carbs? Uh, that evening we had pasta and pizza, pizza <laughs> and uh, non-diet soda. 
Lots of good food. Give me the lettuce. <laughs> and then race start was what time? Again, race was five to five six a.m. So again, to, to keep people separated um, for the hundred miler, this, they had five separate races. The hundred miler started between five and six. So. It was pretty unique in that whenever you wanted to show up um, and get going, your time was going to be a bib time, not a, a gun time. So, again, if it was 5.01 or 5.59, you just wandered up. Again, probably a third of the people started within the first five minutes mm-hmm. just wanting to get out there. Um, but there's no pressure. So it's like, ah, bathroom break. Okay, run to the bathroom before the race start and then... Just kind of wander across the start line, and there you go. So again, the staggered start kept people from congregating at the beginning, yeah. and it was a uh, was a really good setup in that regard. So it's freezing cold. Freezing cold. It was. Like, it was like <laughs> fifty degrees. <laughs> this Florida girl was cold. <laughs> so Florida cold. Florida cold. Okay. It was cold. How yeah. many layers? Um, I had on a, a tight compression shirt, a fleece sweatshirt, a vest, and a heavy jacket. <laughs> and, and, and a scarf and a hat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and gloves. I, yeah. And I had a t-shirt and shorts. <laughs> yeah. And a pack full of gear. Yes, yeah, and a pack, pack full, full of gear. gear. <laughs> Absolutely. So, because I knew once the sun came up, um, and a headlamp, but knew once the sun, sun came up, it was going to get pretty warm pretty quick, and... Uh, born and raised in the northwest so that cold wasn't wasn't too bad so but that was the beginning of the journey <laughs> mile one mile two mile three four five all good huh? all good all, all good yep those uh those first few miles actually were climbing out of a canyon so it started at almost seven thousand feet is about 6500 so elevation the beginning and then within the first five miles or so we're up to about eight thousand feet and the elevation stayed plus or minus that for the next 98 miles. Um, so the average elevation was about 8,000 feet. Um, Super so, easy for a flat Florida boy. Yeah, I mean, definitely. They decided to do the race six weeks before. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, that's, that's my only, uh, comp- I'd say complaint if I would about training in Florida is where I'm at. There's not a lot of elevation. So the bridge is... Or where I get my uh, hill training, so or treadmill. Okay. So uh, that was definitely something that it's difficult to prepare for, but uh, gave it a whirl. And so yeah, that first few miles was just up, 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 and from there just kept going up and down, up and down. Now, when did you first see Jen? Luckily, I was able to see Jen at the kind of second official aid station, which was about mile 12. Um, So it was still pretty early in the morning, per se, when I saw her. And so by that point in 100, you're still feeling pretty decent. If you're not feeling okay at 12, then it's probably not ideal. So (laughs) it's going to be a long day. Exactly. Long, long day, night, day otherwise. So, yeah, it was mile 12 or so um, was there. Again, the second official aid station refueled and uh sat down for a couple minutes and kept going and so forth but it was still almost early morning at that point so and it was kind of on a plateau that was actually a section that was on the double track road kind of on 
up again almost 8,000 feet double track road with a bunch of pine trees and things like that but that was some of the easiest running as well which happened to be the early miles so uh things uh, again were going pretty smoothly okay and it they almost were... lulled you into a false sense of security <laughs> uh yeah it probably did yeah. um You're like wow this is easy uh, yeah this isn't so bad i mean again i on long runs ultras and things like that i try and watch my heart rate more than pace just because i want to keep things in check especially the first 50 60 miles and so just was watching that and some walk breaks on the uphills and just was again going fine felt good um per se early on i didn't feel the elevation again training at 10 15 20 feet above sea level uh, to above 8,000. i didn't feel anything there per se it wasn't dramatic but obviously just kept things in check but uh the day wore on they did a, a really nice job at the aid stations of letting the crew come in and gave us tons of space to spread out, set up. Um, obviously, at the beginning, it's the first two aid stations that I got to see them at was like 12-something and then 19-something. So he was still pretty fresh. He didn't need a lot of gear, you know, change or anything like that. Um, but they gave us plenty of room for parking, plenty of room for spreading out. They were very strict, no crew in the tents. So they, the runners did have to go get their own, you know, if they didn't, if we didn't have something they needed, they had to go get their own. But um, for so the most not part, a crowding issue. no, there was no crowding. Um, it was, you know, being at the motorcycle pass, <laughs> being a national park, you know, they were setting up on campgrounds. So it was huge spread. You know, they really yeah. did a nice job of setting it up, spreading it out. The toilets were distanced away from the aid station, which would gave us plenty of room to park and set up and let our runners come into us and, um, you know, get what they needed and get back out. So, yeah. so then did... came the mental part. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When did uh, the wheels start coming off a little bit? Oh, the wheels probably didn't come off until about mile... Uh, I wrote it down. I, I, I was looking at his map. I, I, I have the map course. So, again, I saw Jen again at mile 19. There was another aid station that she was able to get to. Still feeling good at that point? Still feeling good at that time. It's still mid-morning. It was getting pretty hot. The sun was coming up. Again, hot meaning the form of mid-80s at least. By that afternoon, it was up into the probably low 90s even at that elevation. But uh, was still feeling pretty good. So, But from there... From 19.4, I didn't get to see my crew again until mile 57. Wow. So almost 40 miles there without seeing crew. There were, there were supplied aid stations, but not actual crew. So part of that was some of the most scenic through kind of the north section of the course with absolutely stunning hoodoos, red rocks, just ab absolutely amazing scenery I'll show you pictures but it, it was so you stopped long enough to kind of take oh, it all oh, absolutely all i right. stopped to take pictures because again that was part of getting through that race and so forth was that they're in the early section but then even more so we're also in the late section when then the wheels had fallen off so um <laughs> but early section is this beautiful famous single track actually it's famous mountain bike trail there was just a few mountain bikers but it was mostly us runners again it wasn't congested by any means. The 100-mile were started with 104 runners, so it spread out 104. By the time you get a few miles in, 
you're not seeing people very often. You might see one here or there, and every once in a while you pick up someone to run with, walk with, talk to, and things like that. But it was really pretty isolated. So the scenery was, was stunning. Um, continued into the mid-afternoon, there were some sections where things became quite technical with a single track. I mean, not just your standard, like, borderline not really runnable single track right roots and rocks and, and absolutely and and along creek sides with it's kind of like oh i think that's the trail there right um where you just kind of almost looks like you're on a deer path okay. and then there'd be some rock sections where rock slides would come across and so oh. you're just trying to get across that but that said i would add that the fact the trail was marked fantastic so that was never thankfully night day or otherwise was a concern as i always knew where the path was even though if it didn't look like a path <laughs> there was always some confidence uh, always markings. yeah some some good markings throughout but uh again so kind of that section from mile 40 to 50 um the wheels wheels came off pretty bad because there was an aid station that was supposed to be there with a water station that was about a 10 mile gap and all of us didn't see it so when we got into that aid station all of us were pretty much most of us had ran out of fluids even though we're carrying packs with a liter a liter and a half because mm -hmm. you're talking 10 miles at three four miles an hour you're two and a half hours between and again that was the middle of the afternoon when it's sure. almost 90 degrees so wheels kind of came off for that section then kind of recuperated got back on some pretty single track again overlooking the canyons was just stunning and then came into that aid station the next one actually feeling not too bad or i could see jen and things like that and uh got changed shoes and so forth at that aid station that said that coincided with the onset of darkness um which is always <laughs> <laughs> which is always a unique time when you're running a hundred mile or so not yeah. that it, it was my second hundred but the good thing was is this hundred had a lot more daylight than the first hundred i did but still running it dark on a single track. Um, that much technicality. That much technicality really. Coming into the next aid station where I saw her, it was, I don't know, it was not was not the lowest point, but it was tough because it's about it's midnight, one o'clock in the morning. You're trying to scramble across these rock shale mm -hmm. sections. Again, Talk marked, the poles too, huh? marked well, the poles but uh, could not, it, it was not was not going well the one thing that i would say to anyone who's um thought about ultras or doing ultras or otherwise especially mountain ultras like that is the is the benefit of poles the first hundred i had i didn't uh, run with poles at uh, this hundred i did and they were quite honestly probably the reason why i got through it because they do make a huge difference um when you're that fatigue, that tired, that delirious or otherwise, those poles, when you're hiking, slogging through the middle of the night or the middle of the morning, middle of the day, on steep ups and downs and unsteady footing, those poles were a lifesaver. So, uh, tidbit of uh, insight: don't don't be ashamed to use poles. They're they're great. They're great great assists. So, your sponsorship brought to you by Trekking Poles. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I will say uh, as the darkness set in and the runners were more and more and more spread out the aid stations did start to let us come in a little bit and like you know they had hot water everything was prepackaged, so they weren't cooking any hot food which I think having having crude 
the first hundred with him and seeing how much the hot food helped in the middle of the night versus this one when the only hot food option was a cup of soup. Um, you know, it was definitely a big, big difference just being able to provide him with, with that heavier nutrition that, mm-hmm. that you need to stay awake and to yeah. keep pumping it at that. Um, you know, they tried their hardest. It mm-hmm. just was what they were allowed to do. You know, there's right. prepackaged food. There's only so much you can do without a microwave in the middle of the woods. Exactly. Um, but they did let us come in and, you know, we could kind of time it when we thought our runners were going to be coming in and... Um, like the jet boil. <laughs> yeah, ramen yeah. Well, something. we'd get the exactly. We'd get the boiling water and the ramen noodles because, you know, then you have to sit there for 15 minutes for it to cool off enough for them to be able to drink it because it's hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, let the noodles get soft to where they could actually enjoy them. Um, but again, the aid stations, the people were great, super helpful. Um, you know, other than not being able to provide the heavier cooked food, yeah. you know, they did the best job they could do. Yeah. So. And as the night wore on, it got to a turnaround point, which was basically two-thirds of the way done with the race. So it was about 67, um, 67 miles. Again, was still feeling decent at best, but again, surviving um, without too much casualty or otherwise. And then from that turnaround point, then I just had to turn around and get back to the start, which again was only... It was actually not a hundred mile, it was a hundred and almost one and a half or so. So basically still had 34 miles, which is a long ways, but you've covered 67. But I didn't really know what I still had in store um, because of timing. Again, um, were you chasing cutoffs at this point? No, I was, at that point I was still well ahead of cutoffs. Um, I think that one I still had probably five or six hours ahead of cutoffs. I mean, okay. not... I don't want to say not even close, but not really even close really at that point. It but wasn't a um, consideration. yeah, it it was not a consideration. And I felt, I mean, I wasn't fresh, but I didn't feel like I'm done. I wasn't ready to walk away by any stretch. But I wasn't, um, I wasn't chasing cutoffs, and so things were still pretty good, okay. um, and so forth. And then continued back up some nasty train again, still pitch black, back down, still middle of the night. Another aid station there where Jen was which uh, at that point was mile 77, so 67 to 77, saw her again. And then I wasn't going to be able to see her till the finish. So I had that last 77 till 101, so again, 24 plus minus. So basically kind of a marathon. So, ah, just a marathon to get yeah. back. <laughs> just a marathon. Just a marathon. But the problem was is you're coming up on almost 24 hours in. Yeah. Um, and you have a marathon left. Yeah. Still, and you've still, got ultra brain. Yeah, yeah, still was far from at that 77 mile aid station still not really even close to cutoffs per se i mean five four or five hours still pretty doing pretty taken well a decent nap at that point yeah. yes and um dawn was coming at that point so i thought that that would be good um it probably was maybe sort of but then ultimately a few hours it sounds silly but a few hours after that is probably where the low low began really low because it climbed up a pass beautiful scenery but at that point in time i'll be honest i couldn't care less about scenery right uh mountains rocks i just get me out of here i just wanted to curl up into a ball um and i called jen at one point in time because that was one thing for good or for bad there was cell service they have an awesome app again brought to you by avenza maps (laughs) (laughs) 
there was a, a great map. So even if you didn't have service, all you needed was a phone on. Even in, in airplane mode, it would mark you exactly to less than a tenth of a mile where you were. Okay. Which is a really cool feature. So I, I couldn't see it. But I couldn't see it. So I knew where I was. For good or for bad. A few miles later, it was for bad. But um, <laughs> could see where I was. And I called Jen. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm going to cover this last 20 plus miles. And she said, you've got tons of time. You can do it. And again, there's the first time where I was having doubts, like serious doubts. Again, because I hadn't felt great for half a day or more. Mm-hmm. But um, 20 plus miles is, doesn't seem that far. You go for a 20 mile run that takes a few hours and whatever. But this is this is whole different. So yeah. ultimately, I... She's like, we'll take a break, take a rest. Carmen took a nap in her hundred. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I I went about fifteen feet off the trail. I took my pack off. I used it as a pillow. It was warm enough because the sun had come up by that point in time. And I set my watch for like fifteen minutes. And I was dozing, and I felt bad because I'm like, people running by are gonna freak out because they think I'm dead. <laughs> like i don't care if people think i'm dead i'm i'm resting and even though i had again about 15 minutes of just light shut eye i got back up and i said okay and that was good for three four five miles and actually got me to the next aid station again jen wasn't there but there was an aid station and so it's like okay so i got some hydration and so forth and again nutrition wasn't my biggest issue or otherwise it wasn't perfect but it wasn't awful but i told the the people there at the aid station i'm like i'm just gonna sleep here i have my arm set but make sure i get up in less than half an hour so again i took another this one i was asleep um for at least 20 it was about 20 minutes just out cold asleep which is really weird but when you've been up 24 26 hours on your feet um you can sleep (laughs) <laughs> so then at that point, um, I took a nap and said, okay. Um, and I had less than about 15 miles to go at that point. And unfortunately, some of that section was the most technical, technical section. And it was interesting because I'm going through it. Almost all of it, I said, I don't remember this from the day before. I don't remember this from the day. Yeah. No, I was in the daylight. Oh, was it? It was in the daylight. But I'm like, I don't remember this. It just... Like a mile off trail. Uh, yeah. But I, I see the markers. I know I'm on trail. I'm on course. But just the mental fog that you were in versus the day before when you were kind of feeling, oh, this is so cool. This is fun. I'm using hiking poles. I'm going. I'm going. <laughs> um, I, and so I looked down at my watch or at my map and it's like, okay, mile, whatever. And I went and I went and I went. I'm like, I'm not going to check my watch, my clock, my map for at least half an hour. And it was literally one mile. And I covered one. And I didn't stop and sit down. I was hiking, moving, whatever that entire time. Granted, it was technical terrain, but it was 30 minutes for one mile. And I thought, okay, like, okay, if I can walk like 20 minute miles or something, I'll be fine, fine, fine. And so then time was starting to creep up on me still not bad but creeping up on me i'm like okay i'm just gonna put my head down and keep going pretty soon it's like okay it's been it's been 45 minutes let me check on the map a mile and a quarter (laughs) it's 
it didn't I'm walking backwards. Exactly. I felt like I was going backwards. Absolutely. So by that point in time, again, it's over 30 hours and um, pretty, pretty low. Um, again, some of the most technical section plus you're in at that point again over 30 hours, and uh, I'm like. I can do this again at this point is getting pretty much to the point where it's like, okay, even if I keep going at this two mile an hour, 30 minutes per mile, I can still finish because at that point, I mean, never was the race meant to be a, a win or otherwise. I mean, I knew it was completely different experience, different expectation because of the elevation as well as the altitude, I meaning the elevation change of the race as well as the altitude, completely different from the first one I had done. Um, so it was. You were just there for a finish. I, I, I was there for to to, to experience the scenery because I knew it was beautiful and to finish, and that became more and more the priority once I was getting closer to the end. I just want to finish. I don't want to DNF. At this point, there's like one aid station between now and the finish. I just have to get to the finish. Um, and then there was one water stop that they had actually moved the water trailer so you could find it this time on the way in. So I was about five and a half miles to go. Um, I'm like, okay, I can get this, I can get this, I can get this. And then uh, I was coming down a hill and there was Jen. So she had she'd come out over five miles from the start to meet me. To run you in? To run me <laughs> to bring hiked out to, you. <laughs> to bring me home. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it was it was an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can talk about the last the last descent into the valley. So what was it like seeing him coming over the berm? Um, again, it, the the timing of it, like not that we were communicating a lot, but I just had a really good idea of how fast he was moving and how slow he was moving. <laughs> and um, I had timed it. I knew what time I wanted to leave the finish line to get out there, you know, and I know my limitations and for me to do 10 miles on that terrain, I mean, there was no way. Um, so I knew I, I was going to try and get five miles out and then just sit there and wait for him. Cause I knew he's going to be coming on that trail. So mm -hmm. I just did, I didn't want to slow him down uh, if, uh, you know, if he was still doing well. So I got five miles out and I still didn't see him. So I was like, okay, I'll just keep going a little bit more. And when he came around that turn, he was way up ahead of me on a hill looking down and he was literally just one foot in front of the other and I was just like, hey! And he just, the look on his face made it all worth it. Hey. <laughs> it was priceless. Um, did you get a picture of that face? I did not because it, we were on the side <laughs> of the hill and I was trying not to fall off. <laughs> um, I can't even imagine having done it with, with 30 hours on my feet. Um, yeah. And so we turned around and we hiked it back in and um, we did pass one more aid station where I told the, the guys at the aid station you know, hey, I'm I'm not trained for this. I'm hiking out to find him, but you know, if I don't come back through in the next couple of hours, like now you've got an extra person on the mountain, you should maybe come look for me. And they were awesome. They had radios, and they were like, "Yep, yeah, no problem." You know, if we don't see you, like they were looking at their watch, and I told them how far I expected to go, and so I did feel very safe. And mm -hmm. like you said, it was super well marked. I knew where to look. Um, it was it was technical. I mean, the little bit that I did, it was. It was very, very interesting, and uh, it was real fun because when we came back through that aid station, they just couldn't have been more supportive, and they were jumping up and down and cheering, and congratulations, you got him, you're going to get him in, let's do this, and yeah. at that point, he thought we really had about a mile left. No, two miles. And <laughs> we really had about three miles left, mm -hmm. 
and it was just this long, awful, sandy, dusty, dusty, dusty. baking sun. It was, you know, after it was, twelve. It was that afternoon I mean, again it was at this point. Just the imagine the most miserable. The only positive was it was downhill. Okay. But um, I really thought I was gonna have to roll him. He, uh, <laughs> he was just trudging all. It was all in the poles at this point. He just was dragging himself along and. Every time we'd come around a little rocky outcropping or a tree or something, he would look up and there'd be no finish line. Uh, and, and he just, at one point, he stopped in the middle of the road and he just slammed his poles down and he was like, it's been a hundred miles! <laughs> and I just, it was, I was laughing. I was laughing because I, I knew, like, I just, I knew you wanted it so bad, but it was just like a little child having a tantrum, but I can't even imagine the pain and the exhaustion and... You know, I at least got to go sleep for two or three hours. And um, so I just kept telling him, I was like, just look at the dirt, one foot in front of the other. You're going to walk over a cattle guard and you, the finish line is going to be 50 yards in front of you. Don't look up again until you hit that cattle guard. <laughs> and uh, so that was really fun because when he hit that cattle guard, his eyes went up and he just started booking it for the <laughs> finish line. <laughs> so, and I did get all of that on video. Nice. So it was uh, definitely definitely something to be proud of and he won't brag on himself but 104 started only 41 finished nice and everyone that finished was from the northwest he was the only person the to only finish from, from the south the from the southeast from united the southeast. states yeah so I mean, uh, congratulations big big accomplishment yeah. for the you know expectations of the training and whatnot yeah so. and all so. of them were using poles <laughs> absolutely everyone was using poles except maybe the winner he was like a goat he just scampered up and down those mountains and i mean yeah. it, at one point actually we had some problems with us a group that was camping at one of the aid stations and the um uh people don't realize but crewing these races is really really fun because you meet a ton of people from all over the country and um uh you know we're I'm certainly not an ultra marathoner, but I run a little bit and do some triathlons and, you know, have my goals. And as does all the crew, we're not out there because we're not into this, you know, race or whatever. And all super supportive. We're all, you know, we're all, you know, eating each other's food and talking about what we're going <laughs> to feed our runner and, you know, how, what we're going to change them into and how we're going to keep them warm. And, you know, we've got our little aluminum foil blankets and whatnot. Well, the race has permitted areas for their aid stations. And one of the campgrounds that they were in was already taken by a huge group of um, very rough um, dog training. They, I'm sure they were hunting uh, uh, cougars or mountain lions or whatever they call them out in that area of the country. Mm -hmm. And um, they were not happy that this race pulled in with their spotlights and their loud music and their tents. and. Um, at this point, this aid station was almost three hours from the start-finish line, so it was quite a long drive. So those of us who were crewing, it, it wasn't as many as at the original aid stations because it was such a hike to get to these stations, and it was awful, horrible, single-lane gravel road. So I was lucky our rental car is a Jeep, but I feel bad for whoever got it next because it probably died. But, uh, <laughs> we, uh, I mean, it was a, it was very difficult to get to these aid stations that they let us go to so I can't imagine the ones they didn't let us go to and um, we had problems with these hunters they they were they were awful and they caused a huge scene and at one point they actually drove their cars up the trail and when the lead racer came through excuse me um, the, the number two guy came through about 15 20 minutes later 
And then it was three hours before the next runner came in. And at this point, it's mile 67 that we were sitting there waiting at. And everyone started to get really nervous because, you know, we all were so excited when number one came in. And then we were so excited when number two came in. And then we're waiting and we're waiting. And three hours to just be sitting there doing nothing, waiting and waiting and waiting for your runner. And so we all started actually walking up the trails to make sure the hunters hadn't moved the markers because they had driven up and then 15 minutes later they drove back down and there was no reason for them to have gone where they went. Um, And then they packed up all their gear and ended up moving to a different campsite. So we thought maybe they'd gone and messed with the markers because why else weren't we seeing any runners? And it, it, number three finally came through and he really was number three, you know, according to the updates of crossing timing mats and it just was that hard. They were that spread out. Okay. So, um, you know, the number one and the number two guy, like I said, they were like billy goats. They just bounced up and down those mountains and they came in and they were fresh and man, their crews were good. I mean, they had, they had them right away, you know, shoes off, like a pit working crew. on, they were like a pit crew. I mean, yeah. they each had three people and each person was, you know, one person was assigned feet. One person was giving him food. One person was helping hey, him change. My, my pit crew was that good too. Uh, I, just, yeah. I just had yeah. a station wagon on a NASCAR. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, the, the, their crews were, they were obviously out there trying to win. So, um, but it was fun because they were still super friendly and shared yeah. a lot of tips and um, that particular aid station, we packed up and moved to the next aid station, and then we actually ended up coming back to that aid station. So, you know, we were hanging out with these people for probably 15 hours. We were okay. all sitting in the back of our cars together, and at this point, it's pitch dark. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're all huddled around the fire. There was, um, we still were, were good about the social distancing. Like, people, you know, weren't, you know, obviously, if they Not were together, they were together, but... Um, you know, we rotated in and out of the fire and didn't, didn't huddle around the actual aid station tent, but, um, we were friends at this point. So yeah. <laughs> we were, um, it was just fun. It was, yeah. it was a nice, a nice group of people. Creates and, a special and, bond. Yeah. But, and that's the, that, um, is definitely the, one of the major draws of ultras and the ultra community is just, it's a whole different breed of people and the camaraderie that develops over hundred hours whether it's 19 hours or 12 hours or 35 hours is it's pretty cool between crew and runner as well as crews and crews and runners and runners so it's obviously something the first hundred i did with carmen and soren we had that same kind of experience together three of us runners one of us crew was uh, <laughs> we had our hands full. was this at Ooh. um Tunnel this Hill. is Tunnel Hill. This okay. is one up in uh, Illinois that we went and did last November. So. All right, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And that one was fun to crew, but it was easy. <laughs> Utah was hard. <laughs> Completely different animal. Completely different. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, it's a national park, and you had to be on both sides of the mountain. So you had to drive around the mountain. You know, they were running up and down and across the mountain, but we had to drive all the way around it. So when I called Carmen at 6 o'clock in the morning... I was driving back to the hotel. I was still three hours from the hotel. And I'd been up all night right. waiting for him. <laughs> so it was tough. But it was fun. Yeah. So you've already signed up for your next one? Not yet. Uh-huh. Um, I'm trying to figure out, again, unfortunately, between COVID and everything else. And I had a kind of a nagging ankle issue for a few months going into that race that I kind of 
ignore it. I wasn't perfectly trained for it. I wasn't not ready for a hundred, but not as well as maybe the first hundred. So throwing that as well as the elevation and the altitude were two different and the technicality. Yeah. But um, I've taken a little bit of time off from running. I've started back running now and things like that. And I'm looking. So, uh, oh, there will be more hundreds. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. Carmen, you were awesome. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, thank yep. you. That does it for this edition of Between Two Runners. Join us next time for a very special guest. Between Two Runners, sponsored by the Athlete's Den, Exoskin, and of course, 